Hi, everybody. I'm Rogers Healy, the host of Rogers That, a podcast dedicated to selling without selling out. And I feel like a sellout right now because I'm sitting. And I tell you that to where the person we have today has not just revolutionized the way that we work. He's changed the game. And he's done it in a way with uh, intention, with integrity, with character, and with a ton of personality. Uh, he was 2021 CEO of the year for D Magazine, but he's way more than that. Most importantly to me, he is a mentor. He is someone that inspires me, and he's a friend. Uh, it's Jason McCann. He is the co-founder and CEO of Very, formerly known as Veridesk, uh, much like Prince, was an artist known as Prince, and then went to Assemble, then went back to Prince. But Jason is the Prince, the self-proclaimed Prince of furniture and more than furniture. Uh, Jason's company, uh, we got introduced to them a few years back, and you cannot, you literally cannot go two seconds in our office without seeing a piece of furniture or even a coaster <laughs> from our friends at Barry. So uh, I'm a big fan. I'm an endorser, and Jason, we're grateful that you're here today. So oh, thank Rogers, you, Rogers. You've warmed my soul right there. Thank you so much, and our really? friendship means everything. So yeah. excited to be here today. Well, cool. We're, we're we're glad that you're here, and I, I know that business is a huge part of your life, and it, and it guides you. But um, why don't you give us a little bit of background, maybe what got you to where you're at today, but what was your, your journey to entering the world of business and absolutely turning it upside down? Yeah, it was, you know, fun growing up in Galveston Island, just south of here. And so, you know, the first entrepreneur I knew was my mom. She oh, cool. owned her own hair salon down on the island. So I worked there uh, for her and that was my first job when I was 10 to 12. You, also might, you might be the only person to glamorize the islands of Galveston. <laughs> it, we're, we're not, like for all y'all that are watching it and listening, the islands of Galveston would be like saying the casinos of Shreveport. Yeah, this right. is, um, but anyway, you yeah, know, no, it, it was but a good, the beautiful a good beach pitch. is just south of Houston. So, yeah, you know, no. if you're down in H Town, it's the closest beaches. Yeah, so. no, okay. So, <laughs> back, back to the journey. Back, your mom was your first yeah, entrepreneurial first, hero. Yeah, and just it was great to see her and experience that and, and work in her hair salon. And she said, I think at 14 or 15, I had to go get a real job. And so she drove me around town and I ended up working at a beach chair and umbrella company doing beaches. You Were know, you a cabana boy? No, I, well, it's not as glamorous as that in the early 80s but you know yeah so setting up beach chairs and umbrellas down there on the island eventually opened up my own leased a beach bought my own chairs and umbrellas started wait, bought, wait, bought your own chairs and umbrellas really and i leased a little parcel of beach and i got insurance and yeah and so i, I learned at a very early age i had that entrepreneurial bug in me and so that was a lot of fun just to experience that so as, as a teenager essentially you were doing things that most people well into their 40s and 50s will never conceptualize as you were you were leading people you're running people but you realized that maybe one of your gifts early on was a gift of strategy and structure yeah right and was that just something that you had a light bulb moment i, I still don't have that light bulb moment i have to find people that are way more structured and systemized than me no but. i think it's more you know sitting around the dinner table talking to my mom about running a business hiring people talking um firing you know going through growing pains um as people would even work for her and ultimately go out and start their own salon or business and she said that's actually a good thing i'm sort of educating the next generation of entrepreneurs this is literally me growing up as a 10 12 13 year old sitting around the dinner table having those kinds of conversations Mm. Um, one of her first employees was gay. One of her first employees was African-American. And I just assumed it was normal for a, a mom to run a company. And so those were just things I grew up with as a kid. And so starting a business just seemed natural. And so it was a great opportunity to try things and make mistakes and learn. So And to have people that relied on you, especially at you know, a very young age. So what was the the next level the next step so you, you yeah had a so company. i decided well, growing up in galveston i thought i wanted to be in the hospitality industry because i didn't quite know anything else and so i studied at the university of houston has the hilton college so i got a degree in hotel restaurant management actually went back to the island partnered with the gentleman that owned yagas and at the time yagas the clothing company the clothing company no way so, Yaga versus Stussy was a great debate in the 80s and 90s. Stussy and Massimo. It was Massimo. Kind of, uh, they're all three of them. It was like a three-legged race. Enter Z Cavaricci and Jabot. <laughs> right. I was a I was such a Yaga fan. <laughs> yes. Wow, you're gonna take me back. It was like kind of Rastafarian yeah. chic. Little Jamaican me crazy Mobetta threads. Okay, oh, yeah, you're feeling it. And but listen, you might not. I'm from Corpus Christi. <laughs> okay, where you had uh, Yaga, we had TNC Surf and Skate. Yeah, and you might not remember that, but anyway, um, back back to the journey. So you, yeah, you, so I you, partner up with. Mike Dean and Alan Flores, and they, they actually owned the restaurant Yagas. So you had the clothing line, and then one of the brothers had the restaurant. And I had no a, idea. Had a reggae bar, and, and they had live reggae bands on the weekends. We partnered up and opened one in Houston. 
and this was in the early 90s. A, a Yagas. A Yagas. So this was peak Yaga. And again, y'all, this is like, I don't even know, it'd be like before Ed Hardy <laughs> and before, all, like you had to have, if you didn't have Yaga and if you didn't have Stussy and you were a 10 to 16 year old, you oh, yeah. you couldn't get anywhere. That's right. Um, so wow, you actually were part owner of Yaga. Yeah. Wow. So Yeah, so we partnered up and opened up one on Richmond Avenue. So at the time, that was the hottest area of Houston. And so you had the original Joe's Crab Shack was on that street, uh, the original Rick's Cabaret, the largest gold gym in Houston. We're all on that, that street, the Sam's Boat, which is still there, the Yucatan Liquor Stand. It was the hottest nightclub street in town, restaurants. Wow. And so we did that for about two and a half years. It's in the Rockets' heyday. So when Akeem Olajuwon and they won back-to-back championships. Vernon uh, Maxwell. Yes. The yeah. Whole- Otis yeah. Thorpe, that was a oh, uh, yeah, yeah that was so a that, big. That was a great chapter for me. We did that for about two and a half years, and one day I just decided the nightclub and restaurant industry was not my calling, and so we sold out to our partners, and I started to work on my masters in entrepreneurship. What are you twenty two at this point? Yeah, twenty three, twenty four. Yeah, Good lord, yeah, and so it was. It was awesome. It was a great chapter, but it just, you know, I think sometimes you wake up and you recognize something's not your calling. You've worked really hard. Yeah. I wasn't very successful. I was modestly successful, um, but we learned a lot. We worked hard, and those were the things we tried to figure out. And so, as I was going, working on my master's, I reached out to my high school sweetheart because I said, I'm not, I'm getting out of the nightclub industry. Do you want to have dinner? And she was up here in Dallas teaching, and she came back. And Were you living in Houston still? I was still in Houston at the time, and so it was, it was great to reconnect with her. Um, and I ended up in the pog business because somebody that used to work with me owed me a little bit of money. Pogs? Pogs. The round milk caps. Yes, the slammers. Wow. And so um, suddenly I didn't know anything about pogs. I didn't know anything about consumer products. And so I started air freighting pogs on Continental Airlines to Houston, would go pick them up in cargo vans, put them into smaller packages, if you can picture this, into quart-sized bags of pogs. And then I had vans driving all over Texas selling pogs to baseball card shop owners and kiosks in the malls. And I ended up deciding I needed to create my own product to control my own thing. So I created a board game called Nip It, which was like tiddlywinks. And you remember that game, which is like launching pogs. And I basically went to a Toys R Us store. I took apart a Monopoly game, figured out that it's a bookbinder and a Heidelberg Press made the box and a launching pad was a mouse pad. And I literally created a kid's board game. What was it called? Nip It. And so picture Tiddlywinks. When I showed it to kids, they said, oh, it's like Nip It. We're like launching our pogs. And so overnight, I've got 5,000 of these games. I worked with the Institute for the Blind to assemble them. So I'd never, I couldn't figure out, I was making them in my apartment trying to assemble all these parts. And the Institute for the Blind, I put on a blindfold and we taught blind people how to assemble these games. And it was a fantastic learning thing. And I started selling board games. And I'm going to school full time, married my high school sweetheart think I'm on cloud nine and suddenly sales aren't doing as well and there was a toy company in Houston I, I buzzed on the door just like you always do and I'm knocking on the door I just want to meet this toy company I'm like I'm trying to figure out how to sell Toys R Us and Walmart maybe this toy company can help me while a newlywed while, while a full-time new grad student full-time grad student I and, have, and I got my box of games and I at 24 and y'all that are <laughs> still paying attention this is now your third company or fourth well that's your third company to have control or leadership over yeah. At, at an early age. Anyway, sorry. So yeah, nip so, it. So I sit in the lobby for over an hour and I'm just waiting you know, because they said, yeah, I, somebody might come. And all of a sudden they said, the president's going to actually, he wants to meet you. And so Rick Knights takes me to his office and it's got all this cool big decor and a giant desk and we're talking. And he goes, did you create this board game? And I'm telling the whole crazy story. And he said, pogs are dead. You need to sell everything you have and come work here. I said, no, 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 I'm going to be a like Parker Brothers Titan. I, I got this all figured out. And literally, I walked out of there. I couldn't sell a pog to save my life. Hmm. So the hotter things get, the faster they die in fads. And what I just didn't realize was pogs was a fad. And it literally ended. So I wrote, this is back in the days, I'm literally writing Rick letter, calling him, leaving voicemail saying, Rick, I will, the toy CEO? The CEO of, of DSI Toys. And I said, I'll do any job you have. And so he you know, was kind enough to take me in as an intern. He taught me how to negotiate with factories in China, sell Walmart, QVC, and I was learning retail. Um, and then in 1999, so the company went through an IPO. I had to, got to experience what a What was the company called? Called DSI Toys. Okay. 
And so unfortunately, they, they went through an IPO, which is very challenging for a toy company to, to do at the time. They were just too small. And so I learned a lot of things from them and was looking to do another company. And another gentleman was looking at buying the company and investing in it and didn't decided not to, but he and I connected and it was Dan Flaherty from Jemmy Industries. And Dan had created a- Dallas guy? Dallas guy. Yeah. So Dan had created a company called Jemmy, G-E-M-M-Y, they're known today for the big mouth billy bass fish yes and what did he do with shannon Wynn? and sorry no no, yeah. keep, no no keep <laughs> yeah, going no no no. yeah yeah i don't i don't know shannon but so um yeah and so all those inflatables that you see on people's yards for halloween and christmas really led lighting that you see at a lowe's home depot or walmart that's what jemmy is known for today when he and i met in 1999 i flew up here to dallas and he and I were talking, and he, he was talking about recruiting to work at, with his with Jemmy. And I said, no, nah, I think I'm going to do something else. He wanted else. you to go work there. And he said, let's do a dot-com business together and sell Christmas and Halloween product online. This is 1999, the basically the gold rush of the dot-com era. And so overnight, Dan and I partner up and create icelebrate.com and we're gonna sell Christmas and Halloween product online. I don't know anything about the dot-com business. I don't know anything about Christmas and Halloween, but overnight we go for it and build a business selling millions of dollars worth of Christmas and Halloween product online. This is 1999-2000. How did you get the inventory? You just went and... So we started negotiating with the factories that make the lights and make the ornaments. And st and I didn't know anything about it. A uh, gentleman that was working at Michael's craft store was yeah. the top Christmas person in the industry. I convinced him to come work with me and join me on the journey. We got up to about 75 employees. And all of a sudden, we started burning through too much cash. I didn't build a profitable business. So I was sitting there upside down every month financially, and I hadn't really raised enough money. And so suddenly, I've got people writing. And this is the, the dot-com craze. Everybody's writing $50,000 checks, and everybody wants to be a part of the dot-com craze. I end up in New York City, and I'm sitting in my Joseph A. Banks two-for-one suits. Nothing fancy like the Mizzen in Maine. Listen, the thing about <laughs> Joseph A. Bank is now you know they're going to buy one Joseph A. Bank, get a desk from Barry, a PlayStation, and unlimited like water. So the greatest promotions of all yeah, time. Yeah. But yeah. this is actually from Hong Kong, and I look like a <laughs> lima bean. You, but you, you look great. Anyway, so I was up at a, a meeting uh, with J.P. Morgan Chase, and one of the big, you know, and, and they're all up there, and I and I basically a gentleman pulled us aside and was talking. He said the dot com thing's going to bust it's over pox 2.0 2.0 and overnight we were bust and i had to go in and um lay everybody off and tell them that i'd failed and that we were bust and it was literally the darkest period mm. of my life uh, i had a six month old so jake's now 22 so i've got a six month old i'm broke um dan had the year big mouth billy bass fish across the street at jemmy um, and he had some inflatables, a pumpkin and a Grinch and Santa and a snowman. And I was uh, licking my wounds. Were um, you full time? That was that was everything you were doing was. All it was was I Dan. celebrate. Yeah, Dan and I were partners, and I celebrate. And I, you know, so I had gone bust in this business, and Dan had a separate company called Jemmy. Wow. And uh, he had done all those pumpkins you see at Michael's craft yeah. stores and great stuff out there. And so I, Dan said, "Hey, would you help me just?" kind of think about it i had a chance to go work with dan at jemmy and really became you know when you lose a lot of money with somebody you learn a lot about them and dan was gracious enough to uh to give me a chance mm -hmm. over there and sort of get back up and kind of get my confidence back um so it's saying it's a real thing as a business owner yeah, I've, I've been through a few valleys and it's hard man you got to force yourself to get out of bed and then if you find somebody that gives you some kind of vigor um, yeah yeah it's a, it's a different so we connected relationship on a very cool level and i i thought i would just help him for a couple of years i fell in love with jemmy and the people and the team and became president in 09 hmm. and then in um and then really elevated our relationship and so jemmy today is the leading producer of halloween and christmas out there for lowe's home depot walmart so great stuff and it's all hitting the stores right now so they're all thrilled but it's a wow. um and then in 2012 dan was standing at a cardboard box with back pain and i walked in his office and he's standing there and i was kind of razzing him because we're friends and i was like what's going on he goes oh, i got back pain i can't figure out what's wrong um, my doctor told me to stand up more if i feel better but i got to do something and so Rosemary was online trying to order him a standing desk and couldn't find one of these awful boxes. Was there even such up. thing? No, not really. There, there was 
Um, some giant ones that would show up would be like $3,000. There were these contraptions that you would bolt onto your desk. And Dan said, I've got an idea for a product. Um, and so I grabbed David Patton, one of our, our designers, and the three of us sat there, and Dan described what became the first Veradesk. No way. And so David was sketching, and Dan was talking, and we started, to, okay, let's see if we can make a prototype and figure this thing out. Was there, was there really a competitor at the beginning? Was there somebody that was doing it that you... No. Nobody had, con- nobody had figured out just a simple product that could go on top of your existing desk and literally lift up and then go back down when you wanted to. And so we started working on the prototypes. And we typically wow. do our production in Asia. And so um, we were working on our Halloween and Christmas line. Dan and I are flying on a plane together overseas. And we typically don't fly together, don't sit together. It just, you know, divine intervention. And we're sharing a Wall Street Journal back and forth. And in the Wall Street Journal, Dr. Levine from the Mayo Clinic says, sitting is the new smoking. And we're like, this is a sign from God. Wow. So we land, we're working on our Halloween and Christmas. We see the first prototypes of what became the Veradesk. And it was rickety and wobbly like a newborn. So maybe ugly to some people, but beautiful to us. And we were off and running. No way. I don't know if I've ever told you this, and I want you to meet him before you go, but randomly, the first, I think, so that first product that came out was like the black kind of, you know, which you all still have a version yeah, of. Yeah. But when did that actually come out? Was it 2010? 13, 2013, so 2012, 2013. I'm legitimately confident that up here, I'll show you, I have one of the first ones ever because you're very, one of your very first models yeah. is one of our agents, and he's here, he's on staff now, but he gave me one because I would complain about, you know, being at the time I was 30 and yeah. I had a bad back, and he gave this to me. I was like, what what is this? And then I was flying and I saw it in American Sky Way magazine. Mall. Yeah. So uh, maybe yeah. you can autograph it and I'll Absolutely. put it in a, in a shadow box. But uh, but I saw it and I just was I was such a fan and it was such a I don't know if the word disruption is a fair word to use, but it yeah. was it was one of those things where it's like it was so crazy that it worked. And I remember it was a conversation starter for me. And I would have it in my office and I had one of those big mahogany executive desks because you know the only thing bigger than my ego was my desk at the time. And people walk in and be like, what is that? Be like, well, let me tell you about my Veradesk. And I felt like I was, you know, kind of a, a champion for the brand before, you know, it, it exploded differently. But what, what was the journey to make your company literally, a, a, I don't know, household, an office yeah. hold name? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, our, our journey started, we, we had gone bust in the dot-com business and, and jokingly swore we'd never do another dot-com. But we turned on a little website. It was 99 bucks, a 3D cart website. Turned it on. We did a few Google ads. Veradesk. Veradesk. And it started to sell a few. And we're like, okay, just small bets. Again, treated it like a side hustle. We've got Jemmy. We're running. This is just a side hustle. Started to show it around town. Said, okay, who has a lot of people sitting? Somebody knew somebody that knew somebody, Pedro, at Verizon. And he ran the call center over there. Oh, that'd be a perfect company to go show it to. They've got a lot of people sitting desks to be perfect. So we drive over, get an appointment. He's kind enough to take our meeting through networking here in the Dallas area. And so we walk in and I've got a beautiful sample, got our Wall Street Journal, got David. The, Wall- and Dan- the one that said sitting is the new, new smoking. And I was laying there the night before and I said, oh my God, I'm talking to the president of the call center division. I gotta have like a presentation. Like what am I gonna actually say? And I'm laying there. And I said, it just came to me. I said, I can create a happier, healthier, more productive workspace with this product. That's what I believe we're doing. So it's kind of your first pitch ever? First pitch to ever. To Verizon. To Verizon. Not bad. Not a bad. It's a good thing to be in Dallas. Yeah. You, know, you, get, you got great companies to practice on. Wow. So we walk in. We get the meeting. I'm, you know, I'm a little nervous. It's game day, right? You get in there. You, you suit up. Not really. I'm pretty casual. So we roll in. We show the product. And he goes, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> He goes, let me get my ergonomist and my head of HR. And I what, go, can you please, I, I don't even know what Google, an ergonomist yeah, is. Yeah, okay, thank you. Yeah. So I look over to David. I go, what's an ergonomist? He goes, oh, the guys that help you with your seating and your posture, carpal tunnel syndrome. They've got people that study that and help people the way they stand and work at these larger companies. Okay, great. The gentleman comes in. The head of HR comes in. And they're like, oh, this is it. I mean, some of the top reasons that people miss work is back pain. So I'm making notes, right? As you're listening, I'm learning. The ergonomist talked about making slight tweaks to the product. Again, being in growth mindset, David's taking notes and we're talking about, yeah, it's easier to lift and you pull forward. The head of HR is like, yeah, recruiting and retention is a big deal. If we create a healthier workspace, we're gonna recruit better talent. 
how much are they? We want to try some, which is the magic words. And of course, we didn't quite know what our even our pricing was, so we had to flip it back and say, "What are you willing to invest yeah. in your employees?" And they were like, "Oh, these might be X price." I'm like, oh, "Okay, we just, we'll come back to so you." So you literally set a prototype. Yeah, we had our we had our first ten samples because we were using them wow. in our building and just you know trying them out. Wow. And so we're just showing a, but it looked like a production piece. I'm yeah. I'm pretty good at this. Yeah. So uh, our second meeting, I said, "Well, I need to get feedback on the product." So we reached out to the container store because they make product and they're cool and they're a great culture. Based in Let's, Dallas. Too. Based in Dallas too. Let's show it to them. So somebody, somebody that that one of the the executives over there was kind enough to take a meeting. We walk in. Talk and I'm, the culture, the food, the people, they check every box. And so uh, great places to work. And we slide it out, show them the product. And she's like, oh my gosh, this is great. Let me, let me just show you around a little bit. We actually make our own office furniture, which I didn't realize when they bought Alpha, they started making office furniture. They make their own standing desks. And container I, store did. The container store did. And I walk into this office and there's standing desks in the space. And I have this moment of panic where I'm like, is it over? So as I walk into the container store and I'm standing there, I'm like, oh my God, is it over? Like, is it a bust? Like, Because you thought that somebody had already beat you to the moon. Is this like Pogs and the dot-com thing? Is it just they're standing this? They said, no, 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 we love your product because it's adjustable in height. If we have our permanent standing desk, somebody like you is working in the space today. If I'm coming in there tomorrow, I need it adjusted four or five inches lower. Suddenly, somebody's got to come in. It's a major ordeal. We want to buy some. Let's. We want to test it with you. And literally, a furniture company was buying furniture from was you. Was buying furniture from us to use in their office. Then what we started to recognize is the story that you were describing. Once an executive or anybody got it, and they were standing up and they started to talk about it, they became an advocate, like that Trojan horse effect. We were sitting there on an airplane, kind of pre-Wi-Fi, flipping a SkyMall magazine, flipping through it because we're trapped on this tarmac for a couple hours one day. And Roger and I are passing this SkyMall magazine back and forth, and we're like, I'd be funny as hell if we did an ad in SkyMall magazine with somebody standing up. He works here. It's Jeff Pollock. I swear, <laughs> I'm not joking you. He's literally, okay, sorry, keep going. I, I have no game face with this, but he's he's literally here in our office. So That's awesome. Yeah, so, I, yeah, I got to talk to no, him. No, no. This is great. No, I, I swear to God, he literally, he was my assistant at the time, and he's been an agent here for 13 years. He literally was the guy that was standing, and it was like, I remember where the ad was. It was in the bottom. Yes. It was oh, you're right. Left he's side our, of the yeah, he's our model. He literally yeah. is up here right now. <laughs> Free desk for everybody. Anyway, sorry. Back to, back to yeah, the story. Yes, so we do the ad in SkyMall. Mag- so we reach out to SkyMall. We do a three-month ad in SkyMall. We become the number one selling item in SkyMall's history. No freaking way. Yeah. So literally, people are ripping out the page. They're like, hey, my boss just handed me this. I need to order a Vera desk. And overnight, people are buying these things. And it's going crazy. And it's an amazing thing. right? Our website's growing. We're shipping these, sitting is the new smoking, everybody's talking about it. And once we got one in an office, it started to happen. And what I'm a huge fan of back at the in the day was Zappos. Because at Zappos, if you didn't like your shoes, you just sent them back. And so I said, with Veradesk, we're gonna do the same thing. We're gonna ship out these Veradesks and we're gonna have Zappos customer service if you don't like. And at the time, nobody did that with furniture. And, and also I, it was free to return too. And it was free to return. So I did the same thing with the Veradesk. So I was gonna build trust and awareness. And so those were the things that were starting to happen as we were building the business. And? And so it's, it continued to grow. And then suddenly I had people reaching out saying, do you have anti-fatigue mats? No. But I went on Amazon. Which was there even such a thing? I didn't even know what it was. So you, you mentioned an anti-fatigue mat, yeah. mat, and um, it was interesting for me because again, I six foot five, two hundred thirty pounds. I exercise. I put a lot of wear and tear on my body, and I stood. I mean, the first three or four years I had it, I stood all day, and it was mm-hmm. kind of my thing. And I had to learn how to go and take meetings where I was actually sitting because it was an unintentional commanding presence that I was not trying to have. Yep. But you almost, it, it, there was a, a sermon I heard a few years ago about planned obsolescence where Apple will go and, you know, they have the iPhone 8 knowing that the iPhone 9 is ready, but they're going to wait to release something. It's almost like you took the same model where you're going to have people that are standing eventually like, oh man, why well, miss sitting? No, you don't. Welcome 
the fatigue mat. That's so right. So what the hell? Like, how did that even come up? Yeah. So by having this direct relationship with our fans and having them email us and ask questions, I'm I'm reading every single email, review everything because we're small, right? We're I mean, we're doing lots of business, yeah. but I have the the bandwidth to do it at the time. Do you have anti-fatigue mats? And we didn't at the time. So that was actually a thing. It was a thing. Okay. And so I was like, oh, so I went on Amazon. This was R&D. And I said, well, let's look up anti-fatigue mats. Well, we were selling Baradesks on Amazon. And Amazon, Jeff Bezos is smart, bundles mats with our so it recommends mats. So I bought every single mat that had a good review and a bad review. And I lined them up in front of my office. And we started standing them on. And I debated, am I now going to sell other people's product through my channel of distribution to the customer, nope. or are we gonna create our own? And so the same factories that make pumpkins make the soles of running shoes for Jemmy. So we reached out to our factories, David created a better mat, and we said we're off and running, and we became the number one selling mat on Amazon. What? And what was it, was it branded through Very? Yeah, it was called, the. we put Veridesk on it at the time, and we called it the mat. <laughs> Unbelievable. When I think of a mat, like a fatigue mat, the first thing I think of was in the kitchen. Yeah. I remember when like the, the disruption the disruption yeah. for like the kitchen floor mat was something that was like kind of jelly. Yep. Yeah. But you brought it to the workplace where people would actually stand on it with shoes. Yeah. Um, okay, and so here you are, you disrupted the desk market and now you the fatigue mat is uh, a space owned by you know Veridesk you know now, and then now very they started reaching out and they were sending us photos of monitor arms jerry rigged to our Veridesk to hold their monitors on it and our design originally was you just set the monitors on top and so we worked with the same factory that was making monitor arms for 3m because they had some patents on some of their joints and we redesigned how it could attach to our desk and created our own intellectual property there and suddenly became one of the largest sellers of monitor arms. People that historically wouldn't go to Veridesk for anything, now they're going there for monitor arms, which you're gonna feed the beast for the fatigue mats and then eventually get them as a client and a customer and, and a fan. And everything was customer service, like raised on steroids of having that, if anything was wrong, I fixed it immediately, listened to every review, took every call, like overnight we're trying to crack this code. We had already, we spun off the company to be a standalone business. So for a little while there, I was actually running both entities and Dan was chairman of both. Meaning Jimmy and Very. Jimmy and Very. And, and so, but this one was taking off. But we had already built standing uh, conference tables and meeting areas. We had already built uh, walls that move. And so when we spun off the company, we moved it across the street. We leased an old building. Uh, Dan had the vision of ripping out the ceiling, doing polished concrete. But our biggest thing was to create a space that would flex and change and move as our business moved. So if we didn't put up a whole bunch of sheetrock offices, we could literally allow our space to breathe and change as our business grew and changed. And then we said, well, let's host tours. Let's have people come in. And we had a, I'm recruiting talent just like you. I had a cool coffee bar at the front and my hospitality background, I'm playing music in the restroom, music in the lobby, creating the energy of the space. Right, we do scent machines, so you smell it. But what happened was, it was all elements we had done in our showrooms and other things, and just oh, me connecting the dots backwards. As people walked into our headquarters, they said, I want this. And they're yeah. waving their hands around. They're talking about the culture, the energy of the space, the actual product too. And they said, I want everything. And so suddenly, we had prototype manual desks, we had electric desks, we had standing conference tables, we had walls that move, we had LED lights. like. All of a sudden, I was expanding our product offering based upon the customers, literally the fans pulling us along saying, I want more from you, like help us get there. Yeah. Didn't know anything about the furniture industry. I learned a lot. So the furniture industry is set up like the automotive industry. You sell through a dealer network. So if you want a Herman Miller chair, if you want something, you have to buy from the Herman Miller dealer in each city. Like, and it's all decentralized. And now they merge with you know Miller Knoll, and you got Steelcase, and they've all got different dealers. Just like Sewell's got you know great brands under their portfolio, but if they don't happen to sell that brand, you got to buy it from somebody else. Like, it's a very antiquated industry. And I said we're going to build Tesla. We're going to sell direct. And we're gonna build a business the same way that Sam built Walmart on everyday value and the way that Jack Bogle built Vanguard, the way that Jim Senegal built Costco, the way that you know Schultz built Starbucks. I said, we have a chance with Very to build one of the great brands out there. And so we worked with the same company that helped take Federal Express to FedEx. 
and we were starting to do research and saying we're much more than a desk like it's much bigger what we're building here and so they helped us rethink our brand so for two years i've been emailing on who is on register.com this random entity that owned very.com v-a-r-i.com and he wouldn't reply or she wouldn't reply and one day they sent over an email and said i'll sell you the website for sixty-eight thousand dollars so i bought very.com happened to be working with Landor about exploring, taking us same way they did Federal Express. What year, what year was this? Five years ago? This is in 2018, my 2019. Five, yeah. yeah, five yeah. years ago, started that process. And yeah, so that was about an 18 month process for us to elevate the brand, redo the logo. Because you weren't just a desk. We weren't just a desk. Okay, let me ask the question that I probably should have led with. What does very mean? So when we interviewed people and asked the question, they start to talk about flexibility and change. Hmm. We think about it as creating workspaces that elevate people. Can we transform cultures, communities, and organizations and their lives by creating a space that's intentional, that flexes and changes and literally ebbs and flows with these entrepreneurs? Because every entrepreneur I talk to, their business does this. It's yeah. going up and down and it's not this perfect smooth oh my god we got a hockey stick no no no. it's a grind there's yeah. ups downs but workspace never was like that it's always cut up offices and sheetrock and obviously the world's changed even in the last two years but we always thought of it as a living breathing thing just like your culture mm -hmm. and so thinking about your business as a living breathing thing could space be around and that's what that's what very is so it's a perfect lead into a question that i'm sure everybody's wanting to know about your Historically, you know, people that work in the office, that is, you know, probably a big part of your target audience. Two years ago, you know, the world obviously is turned upside down and everybody wonders what's going on. And you're all in on a certain maybe pot potential way to market. How do you go and pivot on a dime, you know, knowing, again, it's not a hockey stick. It's always like this. And then March of 20, you know, everybody is wondering what the world yeah. is going to look like. What was your immediate reaction to COVID, to the yeah. pandemic? We, uh, so we had just done the rebrand campaign. I kicked off a multi-million dollar TV advertising thing. And so we can deliver an office in 28 days from space planning to installation. So I do everything from space plan to your design and I install it. Woo! Out of the gate. And we're starting, and I've hired teams in 12 different cities. I hired 50 salespeople. I put showrooms in 12 different cities all between January and March. And I'm going full speed, and COVID hits. January, March of 20. Of 20. And I think I'm like going to be really disrupt and simplify the office furniture industry by building the Tesla of office furniture and build one of the great brands out there based upon my Landor strategy that, you know, that we've got something here with Very. And COVID hits. And I think at the time I thought, oh, it's going to be over in a couple weeks. It's going to be over in a month. I reached out to my teams in Asia, who are about 12 weeks ahead of us addressing COVID, and they talked about two-meter design, face masks, thermal scanners, stickers on floors, everybody having alcohol spray, which nobody in the U.S. was really talking about. So literally, we sent our teams home on March 13th or 14th, like everybody did. We were considered an essential business, and I had an e-commerce business, so I was able to survive over those couple weeks. And during it, I transform the entire headquarters. Our walls move, our space moves. Physically you transform. Physically. I said... Let, let's put things in the... Con how, how many square feet are we talking here? 70,000 square 70, feet. 70,000. So that is like just... That is not that is not a, uh, a closet we're talking. No, no, 70,000 square feet. 70,000 square So 50,000 square feet of office and a 25,000 square foot prototype R&D oh lab. So I go in and I spread everybody out. Our walls move. Our power drops from the ceiling. So it was easy to do, but I pushed it and I set up plexiglass everywhere and I added all these walls to the space and I bought a thermal scanner from the Taipei 101 and I put it in our lobby and I went and we have two coffee bars and I put single serving in there just like I had read that they were doing in Asia and I did every single thing that Asia was doing 12 weeks ahead of what the US was even talking about so instead of wondering what the hell was going to happen we made something happen and we tried and by June of 2020 we were welcoming our team back. And I reached out to customers and said, let's figure out how to help them navigate uncertainty. 
and thank God we were considered an essential business based here in Texas. So we were able to ship and stay open. And suddenly overnight, I changed our TV ads in a 48 hour period to say, instead of creating an office, I recreated the creative and I said, work from home 2020, and I offered a 10% discount on our website, which I don't do because of the way Senegal built Costco and Vanguard, like everyday value was my thing. But I said, I got to do something to survive. And overnight, we became the number one selling electric standing desk online because everybody got home and they're crunched over a laptop on a futon or laying in bed. And they're like, oh, my God, I got to do something. I'm getting tech neck. I need the same tools I've got at home. And suddenly we're shipping thousands and thousands of electric desks and chairs and mats to people's homes. Can I call time out for a second? Yeah. So um, March, like we shut down March 11th, 2020. And I tell you this to where, what what products were you selling that you had control over in March, like March 1st of 20? What did you guys sell? The standing desks, the stuff that you supplement your desk with, the fatigue mat, what else? We had the walls chairs soft seating so what did you go create because of the pandemic i tell you all this to where conversation we were having before we started filming is we opened our office 100 percent because of jason and his company and i wondered if any of those products that you installed here was that something that you made out of necessity so the the walls we already had we just didn't typically put them up we had plexi shields but everybody took them down especially millennials because they wanted to communicate with their teammates So suddenly we had limited runs of products that we accelerated the R&D development of because suddenly the world changed. So I did um, add those larger shields, you know, is what those plexiglass shields. That was really the the, the biggest product that was added, but our walls. So you just decided to make that. You just just started to make them. But I'm saying your your brain was able to go, you know, predict the fact that people weren't going to be home forever, but this was a thing that was going to stay and you had to go and create a product on a whim much like changing a commercial in 48 hours that was something that just came to you yeah that's unbelievable yeah but at you know at 2 a.m like all ceos i'm laying there in the middle of the night going what am i going to do like i don't want to lose my business i've got 300 families counting on the decisions i make i got to do something I got to do something. So what am I going to do? You got to do something. You crisis creates clarity. And so at those moments you dig in and you make a decision and you make the best bet you can and you go for it. And whatever happens, you hit that battlefield and you've got to adjust, you adjust, but you make a decision and you make a move. And that's how I took it with the team and my team got it and we leaned in. And so those are things that you've just got to do as a leader. And I went into daily emails with my staff, weekly Zooms, and I said, I've got to just over-communicate, over-communicate. Yep. Because my wife, I'm laying there with Carrie, and she's like, well, if you're stressed out, I can only imagine what they're thinking. Yeah. And I'm an introvert. I know you don't think that, but I'm an introvert. And I said, i, I got to get it out of my head and tell everybody what I'm thinking. Hmm. And so I just started to share openly with my staff what was going on. And that was a very uncomfortable thing for me to personally go through. Where you're showing vulnerability differently. Yeah, and it was hard. Yeah. But I would sit there and try to to encapsulate what was in my mind. And I was laying there one night and it was I was struggling. I said, I've got an all hands tomorrow morning. You know, what am I gonna talk to my staff about? And it came to me when my friend in Hong Kong, when they were in the height of SARS, said, We're gonna keep rowing until the wind catches our sails. He had said that fifteen years ago to me. And I'm laying there and it just came back to me while I was laying there that night. I got up and I wrote it down. And I said, team, we are going to keep rowing Hmm. until the wind catches our sails. And literally, that became our rallying cry. Hmm. And so it was like, hashtag keep rowing. The team started getting oars and bringing them in the building. And it was like, we're going to battle through this storm together. And ultimately, we're going to emerge stronger from it. The, The wind will hit our sails and our business will survive and hopefully thrive beyond us. That's that's one of your, your, you, uh, my single biggest regret for networking in my entire career is before you sent an email to me and a handful of people a few years ago, I did not leverage LinkedIn. And I would do LinkedIn just kind of very passively on a Peloton class adding people. But I tell you to where you have, you mastered the art of networking in general, but I think online it's so genuine. But every once in a while, I'll get somebody from you that just says, keep rowing. I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to I gotta keep fighting through. So that's kind of your, that's a, a Jasonism. Is, yeah, and I is, wasn't, and I wasn't, I'm, I'm not on social media and real, I, I'm, you know, I try to avoid everything. But what happened was during COVID, I had CEOs reaching out to me and asking me the same question. Yep. Are y'all wearing masks? What do you do? And I started putting it on LinkedIn. Yeah. And I just, 
just said whatever was on my mind i'm going to lean into it and talk about which it which is so taboo for linkedin which is taboo for linkedin but that's what gives you a different following but it's authentic and yeah. I, otherwise i wouldn't do it and so it's um it's been a win-win the way i think about it but linkedin's been yeah yeah no and, and yeah i think it, it linkedin it, i've always thought of linkedin as i am on social media on mm -hmm. all of it and I, social media is not fun to me it's a necessity uh, but linkedin is always like facebook for suits mm -hmm. so i was like all right how do i go and get more attention i'm going to go post a video of me singing or something with my family everyone's like why would you post i'm like this is my life this is my business and it's part of it yeah uh, okay so uh, is it even fair to ask what's next i mean here you are at a, a still a very very young age you've done multiple companies that have been successful in very, very different um, arenas from, you know, being a glorified cabana boy to working um, <laughs> with Yaga to being in the, you know, the, the plastics and illumination business, et cetera. What, what, what would be the next thing, whether it's within Very or something that you've always had an excitement for? Yeah. So, I, I mean, right now, so with, with Very, we will now open our third building. So we bought three, two, and we built our first building called Vera Space, but we're, they're literally living, breathing ideation labs and showrooms here. So one's in Las Colinas, one's in South Lake. The third will be in Capel. We host meetings and tours there from clients from all over the country, whether they're high growth companies that are growing, whether it's building owners that are thinking about the flexibility and future of work. Literally, I'm trying to learn and crack that code with them because I think all of us are trying to navigate what is the future. We're thinking about the impacts that we're making. Um, we're thinking about our next generation, those types of things. And I'm, I hope that we're on the forefront of cracking the code of that so that everybody's just not laying in their bed waiting on Netflix. Netflix and Amazon to show up. It's like, what is, what are we going to do to get people out there? We as leaders and CEOs have got to create spaces for people to meet and engage because sometimes at an office, it's the first time you meet somebody that's got a different background than you, speaks another language, eats different food, you know, is has different experiences. This is how we bring society back together. So what are the elements there? What are the schools that we can make an impact with? The other piece of us is we're giving a lot. So we've given um, $6 million plus worth of furniture to nonprofit organizations. So how do we continue to give and plant those seeds back so those organizations can now be more impactful? So we're doing the big Metro Crest, right? So they're building their headquarters. We're able to show them how we built a building cheaper so that their architects and designers can learn, but also we can donate our furniture. So why can't they have the latest? So when those people are coming in, they're going to learning and education classes, getting their GEDs, learning about financial acumen, or their volunteers are working. Why can't they work with our stuff? And we can we can make that part of our giving back. So those are things that are exciting to me as we continue to crack this code out there. What's your biggest struggle? Like you personally, like I, mine is balance and, and being present, whether it's literally disconnecting from technology or not having that, you know, I have a sense of urgency, which sometimes has a sense of fear right behind it. But what, I mean, is it, do you have, do you ever like, is it hard to just like stop, you know, I mean, to find balance where you have all these things that are massive undertakings that obviously you have the gifts for, but do you find that to be a struggle? Or well, I think um, the last two years, I've probably learned how to meditate, which I hadn't really done before. And so that's that's been a, a great thing for me to continue to work yeah. on, reading a lot of the Stoics and, you know, Ryan Holiday and some of those things, those books that have helped me get moments of clarity. I've tried to address my health issues on making sure that I'm still working out and doing those things yeah. that are that are right for me. Um, my work, my my uh, my words of the year. You know, I've got two of them since I couldn't just pick one, but it was presence and gratitude. Oh. And so, as I get to those moments, you know, and you and you read a, a book like The Precious Present, and you realize that fear lives in the future, and regret lives in the past. Mm. And if you can remain in the present, and the way I think about it is, if you can be the eye of the storm and be calm, in, no matter how crazy it is around you, and keep marching forward, everything works itself out. And those are the things that I remind myself in those moments of uncertainty and uh, or lack of clarity is like, okay, what, what can I impact? What can I control? What can I not control? Make the best decision I can and keep moving. And so I look at it like that. I mean, I'm 52, so I got, hopefully I got 48 more laps left, but that's it, right? So that, that's, what I, that's what I do. And so the impact I can make with my family and friends and with our business and, and their families, that's, that's what it's about. It's the best advice you've ever gotten. I always say, you know, from if you, 
uh, from an entrepreneur standpoint, if you look out there and see pain points that are out there, if those happen to collide with your passions, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity for you to make money and make an impact and yeah. have a lot of fun. But you've got to see those pain points and you've got to be passionate about what those are. Because there's a lot of things out there that have friction. I would say you can monetize pain hmm. by simplifying things. So for me, it's about we're simplifying an industry. It's like, how do you get furniture and workspace? Not like we're literally pioneering a new way to think about creating a flexible workspace of the future. And we're impacting cultures and people and communities. Like that's meaty and exciting for me. Plus, we have an opportunity to build one of the great brands. Mm. That's fun for me. For entrepreneurs, they got to decide: do they really want to be a CEO and a leader, oh. or do they want to work on a team and be an intrapreneur? Which there's nothing wrong with thinking about yourself as an entrepreneur, but inside of an organization, because that's what entrepreneurs need around them is people huh. that think like entrepreneurs. So an intrapreneur can come in and think like an owner, act like an owner, but maybe not have all the risk of what the owner takes because it's very lonely to be a CEO and that tip of the spear, right? There's a lot of heat that happens up there. Not everybody wants it, but there's a tremendous amount of people that want to be a part of it, also want to think like an entrepreneur and be a part of something bigger. And so I think that's, and that's perfectly fine. I've done it both ways. And I think both things are very exciting for people. And so just recognize the chapters that you're in yeah. and be a part of it and continue to always think like an owner and operator and great things will happen. Did you, is that a, is that a real word? Entrepreneur? Entrepreneur. Yes. It's, it's a, it's not, uh -huh. a, it's not I heard a word. Damon John say it the first time and then yeah. I Googled it just to make sure. And I was like, Oh my God, it is because it's a great way to think about it. I talked to I students all the time and they're always like, you know, I, I'll go to MBA classes or you know, these business courses and they're like, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, just go do something. Yeah. Find those things, surround yourself with great people, work in an organization that, you know, has great values. Yeah. If you can learn, grow, make an impact and make some money, oh my God, it's okay. checking every box. If you get most of those, great, good for you. I had a guy, uh, and I'll send you. He 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 spent some time with us a few months back. He's he's probably my most successful friend in the fact that like he's kind of just got a real Midas touch in, in the VC world. And he was one of the first ones that we did. And you know, I kind of always I, I always want to see people's best advice. And his it was something that he he's, he led by saying, "This is probably not what you want to hear, and it's probably going to piss you off." But he said, "Never invest in yourself." Mm -hmm. and, if, and, I, and like he, he positioned it where it was like, what? He's like, yeah, go find someone who's already done the legwork, right? And then put, you know, money behind them where you don't have to be a statistic on the other end. So this is, you know, kind of a, a more elevated um, version of that with the entrepreneur. And I think that when you have people that are in sales, that's, you know, you can't be like, you don't understand what it's like to be in this position. It's lonely as hell. I deal with stuff I'd never thought I could deal with. And, you know, I've kind of rode enough to where I'm not going to, you know, just jump out of the boat. But that's a... Yeah, like Patrick Lencioni's got a great book, The Motive, mm. and it really breaks it down. Do you want to be a CEO and a leader? Because, you know, you have servant leadership and you're working for your team, and it's just at a whole nother level. So yeah. you've got to decide what you really want. Okay, final question, heavy question. Uh, 48 more laps, and you look back. Uh, what, are, what are we going to remember you for? Um, what's, what's the legacy play? Well, I, I always say if I can uh, make a positive impact – create amazing memories then i've really done something something great out there and so the third thing i've added to that is build relationships yeah. really healthy ones and i think that's the third thing i've added to the stool so i as i as i think about it if i can check those three boxes that's really it it's going to be through my family and hopefully the 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 thousands of people that i've had a chance to connect with um or do business with or mentor or help them start their own business or work with them you know from that standpoint um, and, and hopefully some of those dots will elevate and that'll be my thing. I actually have one more question. Sorry. Who, who do you, like, who's your, like, if, if, I, if you were to me, like, who is your person? Who's the person that you're like, dang, I, I really admire what they're doing and I, I want to be a version of that. Who, who is that in the world of business? Well, I, there's um, a lot. I, I mean, I, I do admire you, so I don't want uh, you to, uh, no, I no. mean, I appreciate your, your compliment there, but there's, well, that was not me fishing. No, I'm, I'm saying no, you've, you've, you've I, thrown some really big names out, whether it's, it's Howard Schultz or Elon Musk. I mean, who's the person that you 
look for for inspiration and you know whether it's centralizing something or making something simpler who, who do you kind of obsess over yeah. and wait for their next move yeah i don't well i don't yeah there's probably not one that i'm that i'm tracking i think i i look at it as sort of slivers you know yeah. and so i i saw what tony shea built at zappos and unfortunately he passed away but i was like that was amazing watching what bezos has done at amazon and really continue to reinvent what that business is is mind-blowing to watch what elon's been able to do at tesla the starbucks the way they were able to decentralize culture and blow that out of the water as well as brand globally was amazing to me the way that southwest airlines was able to set the bar in customer service absolutely incredible to me but also the way you watch richard branson reinvent what the virgin brand is over and over and over again mind-blowing um, and so i look at business pieces of all of them i thought what sam did at walmart was unbelievable as far as really building a fantastic business and so i think studying all of those is kind of what i do for fun um, trying to learn little bits and pieces from each of them as i think about it but it's also exciting to when i go and i go to these entrepreneur classes and i get whether it's high school or college kids and they're pitching their idea and you feel their energy and it's like it also tells me the future is very, very bright. There are entrepreneurs out there coming, you know, if you turn off the news for a little bit and just really go and connect with human beings and realize that there are people out there working hard, trying to make an impact. You see these nonprofit organizations that are going out there to serve and make hmm. an impact. That tells me the future is bright yeah. and that things can happen. So what are the little things that I can do to encourage it, to nurture it along the way, to nudge it? Those are the things that are, that are exciting to me. Dude, I could sit here with you all day. We normally have questions that I read off of, but this was, um, yeah, this was this was mind blowing, and nothing about it other than just somebody who has an idea, creates a convenience, and runs with it, believes in themselves, and then whenever there's moments of humility, you know, you stay true to yourself, and that's the whole, you know, uh, purpose of this podcast is to just show that you're the same guy you were as a 13 year old working at your mom's, you know, hair salon on the uh, uh, steel drum playing Islands of Galveston. <laughs> but uh, on behalf of everybody that is a fan of you and your company, oh, uh, you're awesome. we're grateful for you. And if y'all don't follow him on LinkedIn, it, it truly is my favorite follow on LinkedIn. And you just, you kind of see him and you just get pissed off. Like, of course he's a great painter. And of course, <laughs> of course he's got the greatest marriage. Of course his son is a, is a, is a massive uh, success in Hollywood. Uh, I'm gonna just keep rowing myself and uh, and doing this, but um, but anybody Jason, can toss some paint on a canvas. You just gotta uh, give Roger, you know, uh, uh, no, you know, no. gotta work. It actually Little looks Jackson good. Pollock, yeah, I think. If, if I do it, it's like J Jackson. I, there's Pollock some space in here. I need to probably find a spot. You need, I, maybe I can go over there. With That's why I have so many things framed, as I know that I'm not gonna paint. But uh, but thank you for uh, being a somebody I look up to and admire and love. And thanks for being a friend. And thanks for being on Rogers that today. Awesome. Thanks for having me. This is incredible. I love that, that you continue to give back. And I will say the way that you're supporting the next generation and sponsoring all those scholarships mm. and all that training for all these people to enter this incredible industry, that is priceless. That Thanks. investment that I know that you're making out there Thanks. is awesome. And I've already know some of the kids that are going through the program cool. to work here with Thanks. you and see what you're doing and be a part of it. It's awesome. So Thanks, man. Thanks for doing that. Thanks again. And, and before I forget, the last question, where do we go to shop? for your stuff yeah go to very.com v-a-r-i.com we'd love to love to help you in any way we can and they're also on social media instagram yeah. <laughs> uh, everything so okay well jason thanks again this has All been right, great rogers awesome day thank Cheers. you hi i'm jason mccann co-founder and ceo of very and that's how you sell without selling out rogers that